Welcome to Unleashing Your Great Work, a podcast about doing the work that matters the most to you. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Kroll, a cognitive psychologist, speaker, coach, and the creator of the Aligned Time Journals. Every week on this podcast, we are asking the big questions. What is great work and why does it matter so much to us? What does it take to do more of your great work without sacrificing everything else? And how does the world change when more people are doing more of the work that matters the most to them? Whether your great work is building your own small business or managing a remote team at a multinational company, you'll find insight and answers here. This week on the podcast, I am so excited to welcome Mike Ganino, who is a storytelling and communication expert and the creator of the Mike Drop Method. He hosts the Mike Drop Moment podcast, and he's been named one of the top 10 public speaking coaches by a number of exciting places. In addition to being an author, a former executive producer of the TEDx Cambridge He's an author, former executive producer of TEDx Cambridge, and has been named a top 30 speaker by Global Guru. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. I'm excited. I've been listening to your podcast for years now, so it's really exciting to have you on mine. It's uh, it's always fun. I always feel this like there's a little bit of freedom in not having to be the host, you know, <laughs> so I like being the guest because I can just be here and be like, I just have to respond. And uh, yeah, so I enjoy that. I enjoy both sides of the mic, if you will. Both sides of the mic. Yeah, I bet you do. So, well, that brings us to a great question. You're, you've, you're on all kinds of sides of the mic. You've been a podcast host, a podcast guest a million times. You're always on stage. And these days you're actually coaching speakers. So why don't we start with the question we always start with on this podcast, which is Mike Ganino, tell us a little bit about your great work. This idea of great work really sent me into a little bit of a, a little bit of a spin, mm. Amanda. I'm, I'm sure maybe no one else admits it, but I would. It's, admit, no, I would, you're not. You're, you're not the first. But please tell me what you mean. And I, I, I think for a couple of reasons because we often think about, you know, what is my great work in in that? What am I doing? So what do I actually do? You know, and you've mentioned that so kindly in this introduction with all the speaking and the coaching and all the things I do there. Mm-hmm. And then I thought about, okay, so what's one level deeper than that? What do I help people do? And it's like, well, I help them really find their, their story and help them find their truth. And maybe that's my great work is to do that. And then I have a, a daughter who's a little toddler. She's, mm. she's, you know, a little over a year now. And so I thought maybe she is my great work. And then I really got thinking about this idea that I that I use all the time in my in my speaking coaching with clients, which is really more like self-expression coaching. I'm yeah. really helping people to like figure out who they are in front of other people because we're so often we've created personas and we lose ourselves sometimes mm. and we get in front of other people to express ourselves and we're doing it as some weird version of not ourselves. So mm. I thought about, OK, well, maybe that's the work. And ultimately what I what I found when I really started thinking more deeply about this is this idea that I share with clients all the time that that our job is really to kind of understand ourselves at such a deep level that we understand these invisible forces that affect how we show up in the world. Mm. And I think that my great work, my greatest work is is that on myself, because mm. that's 
allows me all those other things I said that could have been my great work, the the coaching people to, you know, rock a TEDx or to go speak on behalf of their company or to talk about their book that they've just written or my parenting work, uh, at, which is a lot of work, as you know. <laughs> and um, so, some days I'm some days I do a really good job at that work and other days, you know, oh, not yes. so much. That's the story. <laughs> That's the story of parenting. The end. We we just wrote a whole podcast on parenting. That's the show. But um, <laughs> uh, but it really got me thinking about it, and I really do think that that my great work, regardless of what other ways it might manifest itself, what other little creative lights may shine on others or or on the world because of my great work, I really do believe that my great work is to really dive deep into understanding myself and learning to balance. And this is the thing I push my clients to do all the time. They come for public speaking coaching and then, you know, we go out into Joshua Tree and find our <laughs> find our magic. Is right. that we are constantly in a dance between our the the light of us, mm. our our highest self, our um, you know, the executive leader who who thinks uh, who thinks like royalty you know there's the archetypes of like the king and queen and they're ultimately like these these kind and royal and calm parental figures who take care of everybody i think that's the light side of us and mm. the shadow side of us and i think what most of us do wh what we've been trained to do in this world what i what i really <laughs> push back on myself when i find myself doing it even to my daughter is that we're taught that the shadow side of us should be hidden Mm -hmm. That we shouldn't that we shouldn't talk to it, that we shouldn't ne ne negotiate with it, that we shouldn't learn to use it. But the reality is it will always be pulling us back under that mm. that those waves if we don't learn the dance between the two, because both of them are gifts. And I think my great work in my life mm. is doing that work for myself. And then whatever little light may shine out to my daughter, to my husband, to my friends, um, to lovely podcast hosts who have me on their show, and ultimately <laughs> to my clients around mm -hmm. self-expression and public speaking, that is just a bonus that comes from me doing that work on myself. Wow. I like that a lot. The thing that struck me when you said it that I that it like really sort of stopped me in my tracks was this this notion of like, who are you in front of other people? And mm -hmm. often I think that that answer has two levels to it, right? There's the, what mask do you put on? And, you know, if you look at any of the work on archetypes or alter egos or anything like that, that seems to be the strategy, right? It's like, take on an archetype, breathe into it, become that version of yourself. And then, and that's who you are in front of other people. Like, I'm going to go be the badass. I'm going to be the thought leader. I'm going to be the king or the queen, right? The or, but what you're saying seems to be a level underneath that, which is like, how do you actually be who you are? First of all, knowing who you are and then being who you are as a coherent, singular person across a bunch of contexts, including the one where you're with other people is so much deeper and harder. And you're absolutely right. Would certainly get into the shadow side of things and our, our true worries and our and I just wonder, like, is that something that you feel like trying to figure out how to play that? And I don't want to say play that game because that puts us back in the other space, but how to navigate that is, has that been your personal journey as well? I think so. And I, I think it's in a really interesting way. It's kind of been my journey from the beginning. Mm. I think as a, as a gay man, we are mm. as children often, I mean, I don't know very many people who 
from birth were allowed to kind of fully self-express, even if you had parents who were wonderful and lovely, mm. you still live and operate in a world where if, if your parents are straight, by the way, that you're different than your, than your parents. Right. And so I think as a gay, as a gay man, I spent so much of my life creating persona, creating mm -hmm. a self that was passable, um, creating a self that was safe in environments where I needed to be safe from, from other people, learning how to read a room so quickly and become who they needed me to be so that I wasn't uh, in danger, you know, physically or emotionally for being bullied or picked on. Mm. And so I think for me, that was a huge part of that journey was realizing at some point in my early 20s, after I'd come out, I was acting, I was performing, and you do a lot of work in that world of understanding archetypes and understanding character and backstory mm -hmm. and motivation. And what I realized then is that I had the luxury in a way mm -hmm. of kind of getting to redefine who I was, hmm. but you also can't, I say this all the time that you are not your biographical self. Right. When you ask someone, who are you? What did you do? They, they, they tell us about their biographical self. They tell us the plot of where they've been and what they've gone through. And what they're really saying, though, is that, like, I have a pattern of doing this. You know, mm -hmm. um, there's been a, a repeated ha habit of doing this thing. And if that's true, then we can always change it because there is no permanent identity. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I feel like this has, without me realizing it until the last year or two, mm. um, you know, children have a way of really shaking, shaking all of that up in you. But it's good because mm -hmm. it's like, I, I try to think of it like a, like a gold, she's like a gold miner and she's just yeah. shaking the heck out of her little bin. And mm. hopefully some of my gold gets to stick around and I get to find it mm. because that, that, and I think the archetypes also are, are helpful and not helpful they they mm. could be a straight jacket as much as anything else can be to your self-expression and to figuring out who you are and who you are in front of other people mm -hmm. one of the interesting things i've heard you say because you mentioned in your in your talking there about doing performance and i know that you've done improv and you were in the restaurant industry and you've been a very successful public speaker you know you've been around lots of different versions of um, this space. And I'm curious, how do you bring, one of the things I feel like you do really well is to bring all of those things into the present moment in a way that feels really coherent and authentic. So how do you feel like, do you feel like that's true? And then how do you do that? Hmm. I guess it's true. I mean, you've spent a lot of time with me. And so, and you've spent a lot of time with me one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Mm -hmm. You've spent a lot of time on with me in groups where I'm teaching. Um, and so, so, yeah, if other people see that, then it is true. What I guess I would say for me is that there's a there's a balance between recognizing because again i think that that public speaking and whether we're talking about public speaking in front of you know one person or or many many people it's just patterns it's patterns of yourself that are showing up there and it's the same thing happens i mean when we go to a coffee shop and we sit down there are patterns of communication that we fall into there's patterns of relationship that we fall into there's habitual things that we've decided from our biographical self are mm. true about us. And so we sit down with a friend at coffee to talk about her great podcast, The Great Work. And, mm. um, and the habits show up. And I think 
that's where it gets really easy to disconnect. It's where it gets really easy to lose our presence. You know, people talk about charisma all the time and wanting to be charismatic. And we look at people and say, ah, that person has charisma. That person was born with charisma. Mm -hmm. But if you think about what it actually is, charisma is just presence. It's someone being so grounded that they're actually there with you in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I think that's the place I keep trying to always readjust myself to and you keep getting knocked off course right because your your light and your shadow are constantly pulling and mm -hmm. they're pulling especially when you're in front of someone else but even when you're sitting alone trying to figure out who the heck you are they're pulling on each other yeah. and i think our job as the person who is neither of those things we are neither the light nor the shadow mm -hmm. our person our job is to stay present to what both of them are are sharing from the patterns, but also stay present to like what is actually happening in front of us right now and how do we want to be in that moment? And so for me, I guess that's where that comes from, this thing that you that you noticed. Hmm. So it's interesting when when I first asked the question, I was thinking like, well, you learn something about yourself when you're doing improv and you bring that into the future and you learn something about yourself when you're um, running a restaurant, you bring that into the future and you learn something about yourself when you're an executive producer on a big, a massive TEDx stage and you bring that into the future. And somehow all those parts are there and integrated. And maybe he has insight into like how you negotiate all those multiple sort of versions of yourself. And what I think you actually said was that all of those are patterns like wallpaper put on top of the same wall and really the work is going back to the original wall and letting that light shine through and letting that your the unis of it right your own unique perspective be the thing that is the thread that ties all your work together and then by the virtue of that you would seem and you do uh, you would appear other people would recognize that you're a singular person, a cohesive person across these, these multiple places where you've had great success. So I think that's like a really interesting, it's a really interesting way to talk about performance. It's almost, it's almost like you are advocating a, like, um, what are those things called? Paradox. It's like a, it's like you're advocating a paradox that if you want to be charismatic and, you know, enigmatic and on stages and powerful, it's in the simplicity of being who you are on in that environment and being present to the people in front of you. I think that's true. And I think it's true that on that wall, that wallpaper example you gave was so, was so uh, clear that that the wall that all of those things are on is still you that yeah. that wallpaper in a different room on a different wall would have looked and felt different and so mm -hmm. it's it's not necessarily that you have to get rid of all of that wallpaper mm -hmm. it's that it's that as you build upon that wallpaper as you put another layer as you do that it's constantly on the wall that is you mm -hmm. and the things that you've done were part of that but they are not you mm -hmm. the wall is always you mm -hmm. that's so interesting and so much of your work is focused on telling the stories from your life to connect with people 
tell me how you see sort of storytelling playing into this larger arc of your great work. Hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, you've got to check out the Great Work Community. The Great Work Community is where change-making entrepreneurs make drama-free progress together. Come on over for a co-working, accountability, coaching, and just-in-time courses. Check out the Great Work Community. The link is in the show notes. I feel that so often in in you know public speaking or or presenting sharing information, you know, one to many, or even one to one, frankly, mm-hmm. that we, that we, the pattern that comes up for us, because we've learned it, we've seen it so often, even though we have many examples of people who don't do this, the pattern is that we need to show up with all the right information, that we need to show up showing the data, the figures, the facts, we need to walk people through the, uh, the information, the logic, but the reality is we don't make any decision in life based on all the logic. Ever. Right. <laughs> None of us do, no matter who, how logical you think we are, we mm-hmm. do what we do because we feel like doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the usage of story in that becomes saying, I'm not a person who just knows some stuff you don't know and I'm here to tell you. Let me tell you my experience with this information mm. so that I might bring more 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 color to this and how I view it. And so what often happens is people, you know, they're prepping for a TEDx, they're prepping for a big client meeting and they want to show up with all this information they've gathered. But they went through an experience mm. gathering that information. There was something that made them say, this is interesting. This is correct. And you see it even in, in speakers who don't tell their own story. So Brene Brown, she tells her own stories. She gets on there. She talks about her husband. She talks mm. about her, her journey. Mm-hmm. Simon Sinek, we really don't know anything about him. Right. <laughs> except we know how he feels about the stories he shares. Mm-hmm. So he uses stories about other people, but he doesn't just do it like he's there reading you a story. It's very clear when he's talking about fighter pilots looking out for each other, when he talks about companies who start with why. It's very clear how he stumbled upon that information, how it changed the way mm-hmm. he looked at things. So even when we're sharing other people's stories, we can do it through that wall of us. You know, mm-hmm. we get to we get to add it to those layers and decide. And so for me, I think that, you know, there's plenty of people who've talked about storytelling, why it's important, all of those things. I think the real reason I value it is because it gives you a real sense of, as you said, this this fun word, Eunice, that mm-hmm. that if you're telling your story or you're telling a story through your perspective, mm-hmm. Ain't nobody else going to do it that way. So mm. you don't have to rely on facts, figures, the shadow work that tells you to be right and correct. And mm. you can rely on balancing the shadow and the light, the side that wants to protect you, the shadow, the light that wants to push you to greatness. You can stand in that middle spot and share a story, share mm. your story, someone else's story in a way that no one else can. And that really allows you to have, as you said, your Eunice. Mm. That's so interesting. You know, it's funny because often when you think about performance on one hand and storytelling on the other, it's easy to focus on the experience of the speaker, right? But a lot of what you're talking about is broadening the lens out to include not just the speaker and their, how they feel on stage and what they've chosen to look like and the words they've chosen to say, but instead 
you keep returning back to the person, you know, are you present with the person who's standing in front of you? Are you telling you sharing with them how you felt about your experience? Because that's what they can access, right? Like if they were making decisions based on uh, logic, which they don't, but if they were, then we would give them the logic because it's a relationship. And I feel like having worked with you, you alluded to it. I'll just tell everybody. Uh, Mike was my um, speaking coach for my TEDx talk. And it's funny because I showed up, <laughs> he was saying some, te- some TEDx speakers, not naming any names, show up with all the right information. And my TEDx talk at the beginning, when he started helping me with it, was really kind of laden with psychology and statistics and you know information. And in working with you, that was really where I sort of found the story that I do believe is the reason it has been such a successful TED talk with has, you know, like, I don't know, maybe like one and a half million views or something right now. And I do think that it was, it was that story. And I'm, I think that's really interesting and it makes your work. I have to assume a lot harder because you're not just saying like, send me your script and I will help you find better words. You're like, nope, come on, let's really dig in here and figure out who you are. So how does that, does that strike you as true? Yeah, I think it is true because again, I've worked with some of the smartest, smart people like you and, Mm -hmm. and those folks at TEDx Cambridge, and I've worked with astronauts and I've worked with, you know, people who, who did Everest. And I've worked with people who, all of these people who've done these things. And even there, what we have to find is how do you feel about this thing you're saying? How do you know it to be true? besides Mm -hmm. just you've done some research or you read a book, how do you know it to be true? Where did that come from for you? And so I think that, you know, you, you started, uh, that, that you started by sharing how maybe it wasn't just the focus on yourself as a speaker in performance, but the audience. And I would say that it's both Mm. because my definition. So everything in my world is mic drop, right? I've got the mic drop moment podcast, the the group coaching program that I guide people through this journey on is called the mic drop method. Then I've got Mm -hmm. the mic drop method director's cut, which is the the VIP one-on-one coaching. So everything is mic drop. And I've gotten, (laughs) you know, a lot of times when someone thinks of a mic drop, you think of a zinger. Someone mm-hmm. on stage gave a zinger. They they put a zinger. They said the thing. Mm-hmm. When I define a mic a mic drop, it's the moment when both the speaker and the audience are looking in a mirror at the same time and see some kind of truth that feels shared. Mm-hmm. That's when you have a mic drop moment because those zingers on stage are, if they're just a zinger then they're cruel and bullying. And the audience may laugh and they may say, whoa, she really went there, but that's not what we're really trying to do with this work. When you say something on stage that you in that moment feel so, uh, you've expressed it so clearly and in such a way that, that it is lived for you, and the audience has that same feeling, that is where a mic drop moment happens. It can't happen in a vacuum. It can't happen alone. And it certainly can't happen if either the speaker or the audience are not having that shared moment together of looking in a mirror and seeing a similar version of the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. So that feels like it is quite deep work that you're doing with people. And I'm, I am wondering when you work with people, what are the struggles that they go through to really 
find their mic drop moment? Like what kinds of realizations are they having? What skills are they developing? Like what's really at the core of their transformation? I think the big thing at the core is that whole piece and it shows up for people in different ways. It shows up for people in different places as we work together. But the real core of it is that dance between the shadow and the light because we have for so long mm. lived in a world where we are just these little talking heads. Mm -hmm. We go into performance mode with our voice, with our energy, and it goes way up in your head. You know, those yeah. moments, uh, I don't know, I, hopefully people will be able to hear this, but there's those times where you, um, hey, everyone, I'm here and I'm so excited <laughs> to be on the show today. That is all from my head. Uh -huh. um, that's all head energy. It's all presentation. It's all there. And it's not rooted. I call it your pelvic bowl which is, uh -huh. you know, like your diaphragm, like right down there in that chakra area, um, where it's like the truth is really rooted there. And when you can come from that place, mm. then the audience can too. And so I think the challenge most people have, and it comes from a different place, is that for so long, we have been told, we've told ourselves that the shadow side of us needs to remain in the shadows. But the only way that you can use that power that was there to protect you, that's there to teach us, is to take the flashlight out and invite the shadow into the light. Then you can become whole. And what we want to see on stage, and we're seeing this more and more and more, with people who have 1.5 million views on their brilliant talk like you do, to people like Brene Brown and the other leaders we follow, we want people who are coming from their wholeness. Mm-hmm. So can you give us an example, like a story that where you feel like you could tell the difference between maybe one of your clients or something um, without naming any names, of course, um, where somebody was able to go from a, a head sort of presentation space and into their truth and their resonance and their authenticity. And the difference was remarkable. Can you give us an example of what that might look like? I mean, in little ways, like even if we're, if we use you as an example, yeah, you showed up and you said, here's all of this. I'm smart. I'm a doctor. I have all the research. I've done all the things. How do I sequence it to get the audience to understand what I'm saying? And our work was, a, and I remember our work was like on a balcony in a yeah. theater. <laughs> um, we were both there for a, for a public speaking event that yeah. I was teaching in. You were, you were uh, there as a, as a client, as a participant. And mm -hmm. we were working on a balcony one day after, you know, after the session, because that's when we could fit it in. Mm -hmm. And I would say that, that, that sometimes we also think of this and we think like, oh, bringing a flashlight to the shadow, it must be some big thing and da, da, da. No, sometimes it could be really small, that moment when you say, actually, like, here's what I did. And I, and I, in your, in your talk, you talk about this moment at the beginning of it where you share the truth of not being able to be the kind of mom you wanted to be because you couldn't get down, roll around on the floor. I mean, I've thought of that so much lately, by mm. the way, um, <laughs> myself, yeah. as I'm like, oh, my dad bought is let's get clear. Um, <laughs> that was a little bit of that for you even. And mm -hmm. so the, what is the difference? I don't know, because we didn't have a, we didn't have a TEDx talk before right. that went out and we could say, look, only a hundred thousand people watched it. Right. right but right, what right. we can see is that 1.5 plus million people were moved to watch, to share, to like, to comment, mm -hmm. to send it to their friends, to send it to their, their sisters and brothers. And so that is because you took a look 
at the light and the shadow. You you danced in there and you told some truth that when you held it up in the mirror and looked at it, it felt like truth. And when the audience did on their side, it felt like truth. And that is why that talk is so popular. Other people, um, we've had them, again, come in where they are this really kind of disembodied version. Mm. Uh, our culture, our culture loves disembodiment. We've been raised to be disembodied, mm-hmm. um, to not actually feel how we feel. We tell children, you know, I'm, I try to be really aware of that with my daughter, if she's crying because she bumped her head, not to tell her it's okay, mm-hmm. right? but to say like, oh, I can tell that that really hurt. I can tell you're embarrassed, really to let her own the fact that whatever she feels, mm-hmm. we've literally been conditioned to live in our head. And so we have to figure out how do I make new choices to get out of my head and into the experiences I've had to mm-hmm. feel them, to remember what it felt like when I couldn't get on the floor or when I couldn't get up off the floor in my case the other day <laughs> to, to play with my children that I wasn't able to be the kind of dad or mom that I wanted to be for them. That I think is the clearest less because a lot of times people hear this shadow and light and they're like, ooh, she's really invited a woo-woo guy to her podcast today. (laughs) They've gone off the deep end. You probably thought that you're like, I did not think we're going to be talking about shadows and lights and archetypes today. But I like it. The reality is that that none of that is woo-woo. You don't have to go to like, I mean, you can, it certainly could help to like an ayahuasca retreat or start microdosing psilocybin (laughs) to, to look and say, what is my lived experience and how do I drop into the truth of that? And so that's an example that I've, that you had, I've had that similar example working with executives who are, Mm -hmm. who are out there trying to fundraise for their company and -hmm. helping them to find like some truth in why this matters to them, Mm -hmm. some truth in the kinds of people they help. Um, and it really does shift. It shifts you also as a speaker from a place of performing, of having to, um, put on a mask Mm -hmm. to stripping away everything and just kind of showing what you got. So interesting. And, you know, when I think about the time that we spent on that balcony, it's funny (laughs) because the minute you mentioned the balcony, I was right back there. And it's interesting because you talked about, you know, perfectionism is, is most often when you're talking about the, like, um, you need to show up and be the one with all the information. I often think of perfectionism as being, you know, perf, um, defensive failures, last stand, like uh, the last time when we're trying to keep ourselves from our greatness really comes at that last minute. It's time to send it out into the world. And for some reason you just can't let it go. So you chip away at it and chip away at it until all the uniqueness, all the you-ness, all, everything has been stripped away and it's got down to the brass tacks of what we're allowed to do. It's like that moment. And I remember standing on that balcony talking to you and you sort of taking one small piece of the talk because, man, I had a lot crammed in there. There was a lot more in the original script than ended up on that stage. And it's a good thing because when you said, why don't you just drop into this moment right here in the talk? And I think it was the candy crush joke, which people do sometimes. They're like, oh, yeah crush. I forgot about that. <laughs> so it dates the, dates the talk. And now you were like, slow down. And as you, so you mentioned some aunt that you have, who's like, often has a cocktail in her hand and is like, got a lot to say. And you sort of, <laughs> in my mind, I can still see it right now. You sort of like doing the thing with the glass and the like head bob and me thinking like, oh, when I'm not trying to be perfect, when I'm not trying to say everything and look smart and be who a lot of people think that I would be given my background and stuff, 
I can, and I drop into Mike's aunt then, or aunt, I guess, as people say, um, then I get to be a you version of me. I not, I get to be a me-er version of me. I get to mm. be that, that person dancing in that space between I am very knowledgeable and, you know, I have a, I can drop into the experience I'm in right now. And I think it made a big difference. And I feel like that's why, you know, that was really the, the work you're talking about. Yeah, we tend to the the idea of cramming and everything that you've just mentioned yeah. is is really common. It's probably one of the top five, maybe top three things that are the presenting symptoms with someone when someone shows up to my door or, or my Zoom screen, whichever it would be. And mm -hmm. uh it's it's because we've been taught to to bring all of those parts, to bring the intelligence, the smarts, to get the good grade, to have enough information that they can't possibly deny me. And so then we mm. worry, do I have the latest information? Am I going to forget a number? Am I going to remember to say this? Is this right? Is there a way they could refute me? And so that whole time we are triggering that shadow self to protect us again up there. Mm -hmm. And we're not actually being ourselves. And that whole idea of slowing down and really get into your body of like, when was it? How did it feel to know this? How did you know you needed this? Mm. And I think that that we've been taught so much and so many of the public speaking books and things out there teach us that like to attract an audience, to get an audience, it's through all these like superficial things and and all of these uh, organizing of your, you know, tell them what you're gonna tell them, tell them what you told them and, and do it again and <laughs> have a thesis and three steps in the end. And it's like, but that's not how you actually experienced this. Mm. You didn't read something and say like, here's a thesis on this. Here are three things I learned. Now I know it to be true. I must go share it with the world. You had a moment where you had a lived experience and said, mm. oh my gosh, let me explore this. And I think more people do have that. And I think what we've been taught is that so much of living in that headspace of all of those superficial things, of all those like heuristics of communication, uh, whether in big groups or small groups, but really what audiences respond to every single time are energy. And we are attracted to speakers, thought leaders, storytellers who have this steady flow of, of presence and mm. are able to transmute, not data, but transmute experience for us. Ooh. And I think that's what you were able to do in that talk with, you know, obviously 1.5 million plus times. <laughs> yeah. Wow. This is really very interesting, like very deep thought-provoking work. And I wonder, as somebody who uh, certainly tries to do deep thought-provoking work and my great work as well, I'm wondering if you've struggled to bring it to the world. And if you have, like, what, what has your struggle been to get speakers or others to really grapple with this mm. level of experience and to transform their work? I think it's it's so meta. This is so <laughs> meta because I'm going to say exactly what I just said, but about me. Mm -hmm. I think that the challenge has been believing the lies that I needed to have, you know, the most followers, that I needed to worry about email growth, that I needed to worry about um, having the biggest events, that I needed to worry about the best ROI of ads or something, and that I needed to explain it as something other than what it is mm. that I needed to trick people by telling them what they want and then giving them what they need. No, mm. I just tell them what the hell I do. 
<laughs> and if they want it, they can come and get it. And if they don't, it's totally okay. And what I'm finding, and I'm still tiptoeing through this mm. all the time, is that the more that I speak the way I'm speaking with you today, Mm-hmm. The more that I share these ideas, the more the right people start to come around and say, what's going on over here? This mm. is an interesting, this is an interesting house. What's happening in this house? Mm-hmm. I might like to come in and visit. And that I don't need, you know, 50,000 followers on Instagram. The 4,000 that I have who love my stuff mm-hmm. and and who get help from my stuff, that's enough. I can't even serve 4,000 people, by the way. Oh, if they all came yeah. in and said, I want to be your client, I couldn't help them all anyway right now. I don't have, I don't, I don't want to have a huge team. I don't, I've been through that. I've done that many, many times yeah. uh, in the coaching business, on the restaurant side, on the hospitality side, on the tech side. I've built lots of big teams. I don't want to do it. Mm. I want to work with people who are, who are, who want to do this work. And so I would say that, that my challenge in this has been, what I just said the challenges for the top three challenges people bring to me of cramming so much in, thinking that my program needs to have eight modules, 42 bonuses, 77 steps, <laughs> and that it can't just be, let's just sit. Cause honestly, like thinking back to that day with you on the roof, yeah. or on the roof, and now we're on a roof. I'm expanding our <laughs> rooftop balcony. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with your really aunt funny? and her cocktails. Oh, it's not safe for her on the, on the rooftop balcony <laughs> with that glass of wine, but the, um, the, 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 Reality is that day, like I didn't learn from anyone to do what I did with you. Mm. I hadn't gone to a certification. I hadn't Mm. been told by anybody like, this is how you do it. I'd learned, you know, some techniques for directing from the years that I was in improv and the years that I worked with, with others. Um, I learned things about entertaining script writing and speech writing and things like that. But I never learned to like, look someone in the eyes and say, what do you want to say here? Mm-hmm. slow down and tell us what you want to say and how you know it's true. Why do you know that to be true? And I, I find that when I allow myself to live in that space more, mm-hmm. that if I can remind myself to not worry about 50,000 followers and the biggest email list in town, but to just make spiritual love, consensual spiritual love <laughs> to the people who've shown up, all the good things happen. Mm. You know, so I keep feeling, I feel like Maybe this doesn't come through in this podcast. I don't know, but I feel like I keep returning to this paradox of like, it is, it is the like, the dropping in and the being with the other person. It's like, it is the connection. And when you said, I, nobody taught me how to look in someone's eyes. I was in my, immediately in my own mind, I was like, or has every minute of your life taught you and the it's in the dropping into the relationship and being completely present it's almost like your own self the wall right the original wall becomes a great mixer right like a mixer in a audio sense where like all the different tracks are playing at the same time everything that you need from those individual experiences drop into this you know it comes back to that same thing like who is mike ganino mike ganino is all these things he is funny and he is deep and he understands business and he's struggled with things that he tells us about. And all of that is always sort of vibrating through the Mike Ganino wall. And when you drop into the relationship, then it can come through the way that it needs to is seems to be the way that it, it works. And that is like such a lovely sort of balancing with pulling on in one direction on the the relationship and the moment and being present in that. And then on the other side, it's like, 
just the, the you-ness of it. And I'm sure that the, you know, the shadow side and light side is, is all dancing through that mixer too, but it's just, it's just remarkable how your work seems to bring up sort of every facet of a person. <laughs> and it, it is true that the, it goes, going back to the, the conversation we had earlier about the wall. Yeah. I really do think it's never about stripping away the wallpaper. I'm going to mm-hmm. go back and, and double down on that yeah. because I do think what you've just said here is the truth. Like, yeah, the original wall is there and that wallpaper was all lessons that brought mm-hmm. you to this place that mm-hmm. helps you see things a certain way. And if you, if you close your eyes and you get really silent and you place your full hand on that wall and you say, what's the energy of this wall, mm-hmm. then I think we have a chance of really starting to figure out what is our great work. Mm. Mic drop. Back drop. So uh, I am so happy that you came on here and we had this conversation. And I am a hundred percent confident that a lot of the people who are listening are thinking, "How can I get that guy to help me really drop into my, you know, the fullness of myself as well as the opportunities inside my stories?" So, how can people learn more about you and uh, get in touch if they'd like to work with you? I'm really easy to find once you learn to spell Ganino, which is G-A, <laughs> uh, G-A-N-I-N-O. Mm-hmm. Uh, the good news about Mike Ganino is that I kind of win the SEO game. So if you type that in, you're going to find my website at MikeGanino.com. There you're going to learn about the Mike Drop Method. You can learn about the Director's Cut, which is one-on-one work. Mm-hmm. You can read blogs. You can listen to podcasts. Uh, you can see really cool illustrated animals. The website's a little bit of a story itself. Yeah, I like um, your new website. Yeah, I tried to, I really tried to say like, if I'm going to be a coach that's here to help other people shine, why would I have a website that's just pictures of me? Mm. And then I took it even further and said, what am I teaching here? I'm teaching storytelling. So it's this really fun illustrated journey. So even if you're like, I don't like this guy, go check out the website and see and what's up with it. gorgeous. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. we're really lucky. We're some great designers mm-hmm. and illustrators. Uh, so MikeAnino.com and I'm on the socials um, mm-hmm. at MikeAnino. You can find me on all of them at MikeAnino. So those are all the easy spots to get me. I love it. Well, I'll also put all of those in the show notes, of course, so they don't have to even remember how to spell Ganino. They can just click it. Um, And I want to add my personal encouragement to go, you know, I work with Mike myself. Uh, We're going to actually do some work together soon on my new keynote around my new book. It's great work, how to do what matters most without sacrificing everything else. So I can add my personal recommendation. He's an amazing partner in developing those things. And I just want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for, for having me. Thank you for, you know, it takes a lot of work, people out there putting on these shows and putting these podcasts and a lot of effort and a lot of like audience building. And, and, Mm. you know, I know how much that means to you and how much you care. So the fact that you were willing to have me here and share me with your people means a lot to me. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for joining me today on the Unleashing Your Great Work podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. And hey, don't forget to check out the Align Time Journal. You need support to get started. Stay at it and unleash your great work out into the world. See you next time.